Are you ready to become awesomer? Hello, everyone. This is Umar Hamid, your host, and welcome to the No Limit Selling Podcast, where industry leaders share their tips, strategies, and advice on how to make you better, stronger, faster. Get ready for another episode. Today, I'm privileged to have Leah Kaplanis, the CEO of Social Sparkling Wines. Leah, welcome to the program. Thank you so much for having me. Ah, it's so brilliant. We met at a Tony Robbins event in Chicago maybe two, three months ago. What made you decide to go to a Tony Robbins event? Was that your first or uh, had you been before? You know, that was actually my first. And I really haven't, hadn't been exposed to him that much except by a lot of people that I respect had been exposed to him and told me that it was life-changing. So when he came to town, I thought, this is my time. Brilliant. And so how did it match up with your expectations? And what was the main thing you took away from that three or four day experience? Yeah. So it completely exceeded my expectations. Uh, and I, you know, I just had never imagined that I was going to be standing up, you know, 12 hours a day, uh, shouting and dancing at the top of my lungs and that I would walk away feeling so completely energized from doing that, you know, for three plus days straight. Yeah. What's crazy. Actually, I've got a, a sports injury on my ankle and I did it anyway. And the best way I can describe it is it was like a library of Alexandria meets a Nazi rally. It was like great information and total enthusiasm. The reason I wanted to to have this conversation with you is just at that moment, you had gotten some funding for your company and we'll kind of go into that. But tell me what made you start your company and how long ago did you start? Yeah. So we began selling social uh, about four years ago. And the reason why I started the company was because, well, really, I, I really was looking for a alcohol that fit into my healthy lifestyle. And I really had kind of upgraded my lifestyle quite a bit because when I was 26, I was diagnosed with thyroid cancer and I went on this journey to actually heal it holistically without surgery. And so I didn't drink alcohol for over two years. I was vegan. I tried lots of different diets, macrobiotic, raw veganism, and just went super healthy and learned a ton. But I, I missed the drinking element of life and I, right. so I started drinking again, but you know, I was getting the hangovers and gaining weight and artificial ingredients and getting too drunk. And I just thought, man, there's, there's gotta be a way to have a lot of the pros without so many of the cons. How did you come across the initial product to get this thing going? So I was getting my MBA part-time at university of Chicago and there was a business competition and I put a team together with some business school friends who knew some industry contacts and what we did actually was we went out and did surveys. We did online surveys. We also walked around festivals and had surveys on our phone. And, and we did surveys as to what people were looking for, you know, if they were health conscious, what do they like about the alcohol options today, what they don't like. And from that research, we, we discovered this new concept, which was a lower alcohol product that tasted like sparkling wine. Um, that was, you know, gluten-free and sulfite-free and really low-calorie and organic and that sort of thing. So from there, we got, you know, we had the idea of what we wanted to create. And we got in touch with a brewmaster who was known for inventing new products. And nice. He's the one that, yeah. 
When you started the company, how many people were involved and what was the first six months starting from ground zero and making this happen? Yeah, so ground zero was really me plus three people, grad school friends and some industry uh, industry friends. So there's four of us. And within the next six months, we added another three people that also had different industry experience. And so the first year, I actually ended up quitting my job about six months in before we even had finished product samples. We didn't even have our, our name, actually. We ended up changing our name. And so it took about a year and a half uh, with me working on it full time for a year before we actually had product and launched for sale. What year are you in right now? Well, I've been working on it for six. But we've been selling for four. Selling for four. Right so we met like maybe three mm -hmm. months ago and you had just gotten, was that your first round of investment or was that a second round? Well, that was technically our third round. Our first round was, you know, friends and family about $300,000 back in 2014. And then we took another million dollars really over, you know, un until recently we took our series A, which was 1.3 million. Nice. So tell me about your journey as a, as a leader, because, you know, starting with four friends, that's, you know, one level of leadership. But as you start adding employees and processes and structure, what's that journey been like? It was actually a lot easier working with younger people and sort of me being the declared leader um, than it was at the beginning. At the beginning with the four of us, because what I, and what I tend to find is that, you know, one person is really all in and is really putting in kind of most of the time and energy. And so I at the beginning, I was being a little bit slowed down by waiting on people who had full-time jobs who weren't, you know, who were just had different priorities right. in life. After, within really the first six months, we kind of, we ended up telling one person, hey, you can stay on as an investor, but, you know, we're not going to, you're not going to be working on it because it's slowing us down. And so I really had to assert my my leadership and and be, you know become become a you know a much larger player. Even though I was technically the CEO, we were sort of splitting everything twenty you know twenty five twenty five twenty five twenty five, and that really wasn't fair. Um, and so fortunately, everyone pretty much agreed, and they were very you know reasonable. And so we're all still friends. We all you know, and, and we're still working with the other two people today. And uh, so then after that, I started, I started recruiting interns. And in Chicago, there's so many undergrads that have interns. So uh, I actually had 17 interns was my first group. And they, they only worked 10 hours a week. They were international students. But I basically spent the day going one to the next, giving them tasks. And that's kind of how we built the infrastructure of the company. Brilliant. Is there one intern that really stood out? Yeah. Well, you, since then, we've had over 200 because basically every semester we we have another flock of interns. Uh, three of them we've hired full time. So right now we're going to be at eight, eight people full time and three of them were interns. Uh, but yeah, you know, there's been so many great people and a lot of them, you know, stay on for six months or eight months or go off and get really great jobs. So we've had we've had so many that have been great. There's a guy that you probably have never heard of because he's before your time. There was a guy called Chuck Barris and he had more TV shows on TV at one point than any of the networks. Uh, 
he had the gong show. I think they've tried to reprise it recently. And, and the reason I mention it is his entire staff were high school students, whereas the rest of the networks, you know, had professionals, college grads and, and older. And it was something about that young spirit that they were to quote unquote dumb to know it wasn't possible. So they went in and made things happen mm -hmm. that shouldn't have been possible all because they had the enthusiasm and, and the trust to, to, to do so. Yeah, they're living without fear because they haven't been told how hard it is or how competitive or this, that, or the other. They just they just simply do it, you know, and, and that's what business is, is kind of just getting a lot of tasks done, checking things off your list. And before you know it, you have a, a processes and a business and product and everything. Tell me about the first few customers that you uh, brought on board and what was that uh, conversation like to get them to try something new? Yeah, so... I think one of the keys to, to our success was that I tried to make it as tangible as possible from as early on as possible. So at first that meant just getting pictures, like a gra you know, graphic design of our brand, of, of the cans that we were go going to create. And it took many more months before we actually printed cans and did the production run. But I was able to show, uh, you know, like Mariano's and Whole Foods in Chicago, you know, here is here's a, an image of what these products will look like. Here's a photo collage of kind of our customers and our, our brand personality. Brilliant. And then, so, yeah, samples of the product, even though they were in unmarked, you know, unmarked plastic bottles, um, just showing them that and it brought it to life. For well, them. Isn't that brilliant? I mean, just getting them to see the picture, feel the picture is just a brilliant way of uh, getting them to come on board. There's this concert hall here in near the DC area. It's called the Stratmore. And I met the executive director and they had the architect's drawings of what this thing was going to look like. They got two of the theater chairs and do you remember they used to have these plastic cones in record stores when they had such an animal that would just beam the music down to the person underneath the cone? Hmm, I think so. So they got two seats so couples could sit there. They had an artist rendering of what the concert hall would look like, and they piped in classical music. So they gave them the full experience of this is what we're building, and they raised $100 million by getting them to have the experience before it was ever a reality. And it sounds like you did a similar version of that. Absolutely. Yeah, and then I think the other thing about it is also social proof is a very large kind of concept with you know, humans, they always want to know that they're not, you know, unless they are truly the innovators and that's what they pride themselves on and they're used to taking risks, uh, then typically people like to know that other people that they respect have also bought in. So how did you accomplish that? Yeah. So, you know, it's some, at the beginning, I, I remember thinking, gosh, am I, I don't, you know, you don't want to lie. You don't want to lie at, at any time. Right. Um, a small industry anyway and it's just it's just not good business or good life practice I think but you can definitely say things like you know I had a conversation with so-and-so and they seemed really interested um, or you know we're gonna you know we're, we're moving to the next step on this or you know something to kind of illustrate that you are at least in conversations with successful you know competitors or colleagues to it's kind of like name dropping you know, it, it works. 
Brilliant. Leah, you know, you've had to make uh, probably some significant decisions, probably thousands of decisions since you started. Can you tell me about one of those decisions that perhaps, you know, you weren't spot on, you were wrong and, you know, how you figured it out and how you learned from it? Because, you know, as a leader, a lot of leaders are afraid to make mistakes. So how do you kind of learn from a mistake and grow your organization? I think one of the biggest mistakes I've made uh, was with hiring. I hired someone who just, you know, wasn't a great fit. And, you know, it's like the least fun thing to, to let someone go or to, you know, to fire someone. Definitely. So, you know, what I learned from that was, you know, I have my sort of minimum requirement for what I do when I hire someone now. And, and that's if, you know, we're hiring people pretty quickly. So you only have so much time and energy to, to put into it. But, my minimum requirement is that I do follow up on all the references. Um, and if the references don't come back glowing, then I don't move forward because that one person, literally, I, I think maybe I tried to call a couple references, but didn't hear back from any of them. That's a sign. Mm-hmm. And I found that a couple other employees that um, we have hired, gosh, I got the most, gl- like got responses on the references the same day set up the conversations for like that day or the next day. And they were just so, so good um, with people that were clearly, you know, accomplished that it just, it just makes all the difference. I was talking to the CEO of a tech company and they hire, uh, you know, program developers and leaders. And one of the things that they would do is they would use the, the resume to uh, filter out all the candidates that didn't have the qualifications. And when they had the candidate come in, they actually had them code live in front of them and explain their, their thought process on the coding. And once they got that done, the last part of the interview was they asked them about their accomplishments, you know, in the previous team, they would check the number of times they said I versus we, and the people that said I a lot, they didn't hire them. And the people that said we a lot, they hired those guys. And I thought that was kind of a brilliant strategy to get people that were all about the team and how do we make the team better? Yeah, it's a good idea. Leah, as you look out into uh, the future, two, three years out, how do you establish the culture of your company? I'm not sure if you've done that already. And if you have, how do you kind of maintain that culture as you bring new people in? Kind of what are your thoughts on culture? What are you looking to do? And how are you looking to maintain that level of culture as your company grows? I really believe that culture is, is sort of a way of being, yes. a way of behaving, a way of treating other people, a way of treating yourself. And for us, you know, as we sell a product and probably probably most businesses, relationships are everything. Our relationships with our suppliers, our customers, it's its all relationships because there's thousands of alcohol companies out there. And before, you know, in time, there will be, pro, you know, companies with products that are somewhat similar. But what we have that is different is we have relationships with people that make us successful on a daily basis. Um, so suppliers who, you know, go out of their way to get us ingredients or to produce for us when they've got, you know, 10 different companies that want them to produce. And so then because of those good relationships, we then deliver to our customers on time to make their lives better. And then we have good relationships with our customers. And, you know, it just, it all, it all stems from relationships. So our culture, you know, it's, it's built, it's been built over time. 
by my behavior is the example as the leader of the organization as to you know how we behave. And one of our key elements in our culture is that we don't talk negatively about people. Brilliant. About each other specifically and and not even about people outside of our organization. So if someone starts saying, oh man, this supplier is late on this, you know, what an idiot. Say, no, these are our teammates. How can we communicate, you know, give them what they need so they can do a better job for us? And so we just, you know, if things are getting a little too tense inside, I'll, I'll do things. I'll turn on music. We'll dance it out. Um, I'll, I'll light sage and walk around the office. We'll go for a walk. Um, we really try to keep it positive and light. And, uh, you know, if we can tell someone's angry or feeling stressed, we address it and we, we try to make a joke, you know, that, that kind of thing. So... So going back to Tony Robbins, what you're really doing is kind of impacting their state. Let's get you back in the state that you need to be in to find a solution. Exactly. Changing your physiology, changing your body, moving your body, putting on music. It's, it's exactly what we're trying to do. And I really do like that uh, in a lot of companies that I work with, uh, we have a rule of no third-party conversation. So if I've got a problem, if one of your employees has a problem with, with Leah and I'm working there and they come to me and say, can you believe what Leah's doing? I said, no, I can't. Let's get her in the room and have a conversation about it. We need those conversations. Pretty quickly, people start having a direct conversation with the person that they've got an issue with. And most of the time, it's a misunderstanding or not clarity on what needs to be done. And if you can kind of stop that dead in its tracks, it allows you to build a healthy, growing organization. And when you don't and you allow those conversations to happen, that's when you get that cancer, that toxins that come into the company that uh, sabotage things. Yes, I agree. Leah, as you move forward, what's the next level of growth for you as a leader? Like, what are you looking to improve at that'll allow you to kind of be the leader that your company needs? Right now, we are focused heavily on building our uh, systems and databases so that we can process relate, you know, communication and relationships with so many more people because, you know, we've got more suppliers, more, you, know, thout, you know, tens of thousands of more customers. Um, you know, our, distributor, our distributors have hundreds of sales reps in each state. We've got four, we're in 45 states and now we're expanding internationally. So there's just so many relationships to manage. So building that infrastructure so that everyone can, can stay on top of, you know, communicating with their key contacts easily. And then once those systems are in place, then my next step is really for me to become more and more of a, you know, a spokesperson for the brand. So to be out in the world doing public speaking, doing media events, meeting with key retailers, uh, can signings with retailers, stuff like that, just to sort of um, gain more awareness for the brand and doing less sort of operational things. Leah, thanks so much for sitting down with me. I really enjoyed our conversation. Thank you so much. You have a great night. If you enjoyed this episode, please go to iTunes and leave a five-star rating. And if you're looking for more tools, go to my website at nolimitselling.com. I've got a free mind training course there that's going to teach you some insights from the world of neuro-linguistic programming, and that is the fastest way to get better results. 